Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Okay, hi everybody. Uh, this is Tony Marcolini. Uh, I'm joined today with my sidekick and friend Seamus McDonough for another episode. If it may interest you to know, today we have a special guest with us, uh, acclaimed historian, author. I'm sure you've read one of his books because he's got a number of them out there. Uh, Harlow Giles Unger, and yeah, I was nervous about getting the pronunciation wrong. I hope I did it right. So welcome, Mr. Unger. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. So I think I first I first thought of wanting to have you on the podcast. Uh, anyone who does listen to us knows I'm pretty much a, a rabid reader. Um, and I had read your book, Lion of Liberty, uh, about Patrick Henry, and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think it was the best historical recount I have ever read anywhere. Um, of his life. And it it kind of, it it excited me so much because I'm a history buff as well. And it's really hard to find other people who enjoy history as much as I do. Uh, So when I get a really good book and a passionate writer uh, who retells the story, you really capture me. I've since read uh, Lafayette, which I thought Lion of Liberty was my favorite of yours. And now I have to say that Lafayette has bumped it out of, 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 (laughs) <laughs> of the front runner. But let me talk a little bit about Lion of Liberty first. Uh, I mean, I always think of, uh, I think most people think of Patrick Henry from their, you know, seventh grade history classes, uh, you know, uh, give me liberty or give me death. And, you know, that that early phrase, but they don't really understand how complex uh, a man he was and about his life. Uh, what got you interested in Patrick Henry? Uh, Of course, you've touched on one of the problems in the study of history, and I think it's true of all nations, not just of the United States, but when you're teaching history, and remember our history is relatively short compared to the histories of France or Italy or European countries, you're trying to compress more than 200 years in a few hundred pages to be read (laughs) over uh, 20 weeks or so. And that's just impossible. So the the best of historians do not write textbooks for kids for that very <laughs> reason, because you just cannot tell the entire story. And so most, most of these characters, great characters, come across as postage stamps with give me liberty or give me death. That's what he said. That's all he is. And here uh, is one of the most complex uh, figures in uh, the history of, of the Americas, uh, a true uh, story of that time of a rags to riches in both the intellectual and political sense. He was a farm boy from the hills of Virginia, in no, nowhere, 
he could hardly get to where his father's farm was in the in the uh, Piedmont Hills uh, of really West Central Virginia. He just grew up like any farm boy. He probably learned some basic reading and writing in those days. If there was a church nearby, the uh, uh, churchman would teach kids, if the parents wanted, would teach the kids to read and write. And usually if it was a boy, it was essential that the boy learn to read and write because he would have to help his father take whatever they grew, whatever product they grew uh, to market and bargain in terms of prices, make sure that they got what, what they were supposed to get and purchase whatever they needed. So these basic skills of, of what we would call household uh, affairs, you had, to, you had to learn a certain level of reading and writing. And that's what he did. And as he grew up, he, his father, there were no towns in, in, in rural Virginia or, or the rural states. There were crossroads. The road into one man's farm led to a, a, a dirt road where another man's farm, the road would empty into that dirt road and that dirt road would eventually end up at a town with lots of farms uh, emptying onto that road. And at one of those crossroads, somebody would build a church and it would just be church, called Church Corner. Yeah. <laughs> it would have no names. There were no towns as such. Uh, if the Church Corner drew enough people, well, some traveling merchant would be wise enough to come there on Sundays and try to sell his goods after church meeting. And if there were enough people there, some local would be wise enough to set up a little shack and serve a little liquor to the people <laughs> after church. And that's what happened at the church corner where Patrick Kennedy lived. It, a church went up and his father, who was uh, quite a, uh, an enterprising man, uh, built a small tavern. And like many, many kids in the country, to this day in rural areas, uh, I lived out in Wyoming for a while and loads of kids learned to play the fiddle. They can't read a note of music, but they learn to play the fiddle by ear. And they're terrific. Some of these kids, you just wouldn't believe it. If uh, you have access to YouTube, uh, you can hear a few of them. They'll, they'll be playing the banjo or they'll be playing the fiddle or they'll form little bands for a few years. And then they, they go about their business. They don't make livings out of it, but they are absolutely terrific. And Patrick Henry was terrific. And between in introducing each of the songs, he would tell stories and became quite, a, quite a, a speaker and a humorist. And then suddenly a guy comes in dressed to kill and he tells Patrick Henry's father and the other farmers there that uh, uh, they need to pay taxes. They, they have to pay higher taxes this year because the price of tobacco fell. And in those days in Virginia, you paid taxes in the form, in the form of tobacco. And if the price of tobacco fell, you'd still have to pay the high price. If it went up, you'd pay, you'd, you'd have to pay less tobacco. Well, tobacco really collapsed one year 
And the farmer, they, Patrick Henry stopped his fiddle and started talking to the farmers and got them angry. Well, he didn't know much about law. So he got to Richmond, which was the capital of the state and uh, went to a library and started studying law on his own. Learned a lot about it. Uh, started practicing in the woods outside his home, speaking, giving talks. He'd read from the law books and speak, talk to the trees. <laughs> uh, and well, was gifted and he started acting. And eventually he goes to court on behalf of these, convinces these farmers to let him go to court to sue the church, the Church of England, the most powerful church in the English empire. He had the place in tears. He was gesticulating. He would talk to the heavens. He was the greatest actor on stage they had ever seen. And he won the case. They carried him <laughs> out on their arms <laughs> and cheered him and just danced around the crossroads with him on their shoulders, cheering him. It was the greatest victory. It's, it's still in the law books and the history of the United States. It was, the case was called the Parsons Cause because the Parson sued the taxpayers and the taxpayers won. Uh, so from then on, the taxes were set at a reasonable uh, level in terms of currency rather than the price of tobacco. So that, that calmed things down for a while, but that was the start of his anger against authority and against centralized authority. Well, fast forward, we get the uh, Boston Tea Party, we get the, uh, all the action up in Boston. And uh, there again, it's a matter of taxes. Suddenly, uh, because the, the original deal between the settlers and the crown was that they, could, they would cross the ocean, settle barren land, claim the land as their own, clear it and work it and plant it. And they would, whatever they planted, they would have to sell to merchants in England. They couldn't sell it to other countries. They had to sell it to English merchants and they could keep all, all, they, all they made, all their profits, no taxes. That, that was the deal. And so after the Mayflower, other settlers came in, some went down to Virginia, uh, they planted tobacco, and they had paid no taxes. But some of them started, were smart enough to buy more and more land. Uh, Patrick Henry's father was not that smart. His, his was a rel relatively modest farm. George Washington's uh, older brother was very smart. He had a farm, a tobacco farm in Mount Vernon, Virginia, along the Potomac River, uh, closer to what is now Washington, D.C. And he expanded it and expanded it until he had thousands of acres. And it was one of the richest tobacco plantations uh, in America at the time of the revolution. By then Washington had taken over the plantation and his response to uh, British efforts to tax was they have no right to put their hands in my pocket. And that's a quote from George Washington, direct quote, famous quote of his. Uh, what had happened was that Britain uh, had fought France 
for years. They had fought a hundred years war or centuries earlier. And now they had fought a seven years war from 1756 uh, to 1763. And it had bankrupted both nations. They fought it on the seas. They fought it in uh, India, in Africa, in, in, in Europe. Seven nations joined in. It was actually what became the first world war of sorts. And it bankrupted both nations. Uh, France started taxing their people. Britain started taxing the farmers in Britain and the farmers, farmers rioted. So parliament had to back down. Meanwhile, all these rich folk in the colonies were not paying any taxes. And they sent over taxpayer, uh, tax collectors. And as I say, these fancy guys in fancy suits started walking on the farms, the farmers uh, rebelled. And in, in Massachusetts, in Boston, uh, they waited for a load of British tea to come and they dumped all the tea overboard. That was the famous Boston Tea Party. Uh, and that excited, that action excited others along the coast. There were tea parties uh, after the Boston one, there was a tea party in New York, in Philadelphia, in Charleston, uh, uh, Virginia, uh, 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 South Carolina, uh, Savannah, Georgia, all the ports had tea parties. Boston had a second tea party, which isn't as famous as the first one, but that set off uh, uh, insurrections in all the major port cities. The word got inland and farmers stopped paying their taxes. And there, there was a threat of the British troops taking over the uh, House of Burgesses, which was the, the legislature of the state of Virginia, which was then in the capital of Williamsburg, they, the members of the legislature, the Burgesses, fled to Richmond. By then, Patrick Henry had been elected a Burgess from his district. And it was in Richmond that he gave his famous speech. Uh, our, our brethren are already at war in Boston. Uh, why are we doing nothing here? Uh, and he roused them uh, to, to take up arms. And that was really the, the, the sounding, the, 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 the toll, the bell toll for the War of Independence. Well, I think that's one of the things that surprised me uh, most. Could you kind of credit in your book, you'll say, well, you know, George Washington was the military guy, or, you know, we certainly have uh, Jefferson, who was the writer, uh, you know, of getting the uh, documents together. But Patrick Henry was the ig ignition switch, right? Yeah. That's kind of how you you couch it in the book. And I never realized that. You, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to me, my interpretation of what you read was that that without him, you almost wonder if it ever happens. Like he's he's the he's the guy who gets everybody you know involved. He's the passion that that moves that moves the revolution along. Yeah, I, I think it's always dangerous to cite one person as without him, this great event would not have happened. Uh, you know, I I think uh, we would have won the Second World War without Churchill, without <laughs> Eisenhower. Someone else, others would have. Uh, arisen. They had the opportunity and they and they seized it. He had the opportunity in the House of Burgesses where all these, 
He was a common man. He had caused, he had stirred up the House of Burgesses when he first entered, when it was in Williamsburg. And he walked in in farmer's clothes. And all these other Virginia Burgesses were plantation owners and they were out Britishing the British in terms of noble uh, behavior and, and yeah. beautiful dress and clothes and everything. And this farmer walks in, in dirty clothes, dirty hands, and they were appalled. And so he always had them sitting back shocked. And when they got, when they had, when they finally had to flee Williamsburg and they landed in Richmond, and the only meeting place was uh, St. John's Church up on the hill in, in Richmond. Uh, and they were hemming and hawing as, uh, as British parliamentarians do. Well, I, and no one says anything. They make noises. And Patrick Henry had enough and he stood up. And by then he, he really was a great actor, great orator, and had them on the floor. <laughs> literally had them on the floor. They do a reenactment of it at St. John's Church every, every summer, uh, a weekly reenactment. And it, it's still thrilling. It is still thrilling in that setting. Uh, be pretty there's cool. a solemn uh, uh, setting. And you can just picture this man standing up and just absolutely rousing these people to go to war. And to defend their their homes, uh, it, it it was a thriller. I think probably someone else could have and would have done it. Uh, he was the first to uh, to stand up and do it. Remember, up in Boston, they had already gone to war. Uh, in Boston, Samuel Adams and John Hancock had already uh, led a, 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 a revolution. They had had to flee Boston, and the troops went after them and massacred a group of farmers, to call, which historians began calling Minutemen because they had rifles at, at, the, at their hands at the minute ready to take up arms. And they massacred, uh, I've forgotten whether it was nine or 10 or 11 of these farmers and their kids, their sons on the green at Lexington. And that's, that, that's the beginning of, of the first warfare. Uh, the Minutemen retreated to Concord. Uh, the British troops went after them, having heard that there was a, a supply of, of arms and ammunition, uh, uh, rebel arms and ammunition in Concord. So they set out to search for it. But by the time they got to Concord, the word had gotten out from farmer to farmer to farmer to farmer, and thousands of farmers now gathered in Concord uh, behind stone walls along the road and along the square in Concord. So they were ready for the British troops when they got there and started massacring the British troops. British troops had to flee along the road and, and they, they, were, they, they killed hundreds of British troops retreating back to Boston. And that was the, the beginning of the actual warfare in the uh, War of Independence. Well, can you talk a little bit about um, Patrick Henry's impact on the Bill of Rights now, that, that's much later, of course, that's after the Constitution had been passed, and the, the Bill of Rights being the first 10 amendments to the Bill of Rights, this is afterwards. By then, uh, he had fought against ratification of the Constitution. 
he was the original anti-federalist, as it was called. Uh, after the, the experience during the War of Independence, uh, Congress did not have the power to tax. Congress did not have the power to raise troops. Congress, in effect, had no powers at all. It was a, a place where representatives, for the first time in history, representatives from each of the independent provinces of England in America, and they were each independent provinces. They had nothing to do with each other. They didn't trade with each other. The only place they could trade was send their stuff back to England. So they had no contact with each other. They didn't know each other or meet each other until it was called the First Continental Congress. And then in the Second Continental Congress, uh, which was held in the fall of 1775, the Second Continental Congress in the spring of 1776 is where they actually declared independence and created a, what was first called a federation, not a union, but a federation. Each of the former provinces, now states, was independent of the others and governed itself uh, so that Congress had almost no powers at all. It couldn't raise an army, it couldn't raise, uh, it couldn't raise, it couldn't tax anybody, so it couldn't raise any money. And Washington had to plead with the governors of each state to send uh, troops under their own flags and to, to, to pay them. Well, they, they couldn't do it. So at first it was a, a, a losing battle and uh, Washington's troops were run out of Massachusetts, uh, out of New York, across New Jersey. It was a uh, just a terrible, terrible humiliating defeat for the Americans. And they finally retreated across the Delaware River, fled, they, they fled across New Jersey, across the Delaware River into Pennsylvania, uh, opposite Trenton. And Washington had the foresight to tell his troops to uh, seize any boats, canoes, anything they saw on the uh, east bank of the Delaware so that the British troops couldn't just uh, sail across and follow them. So that gave him and his troops uh, a little breathing time. Uh, but, but at that point, the war seemed lost. Uh, the, 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 there weren't enough troops. Many had deserted by then because of the defeats. Many of them had, didn't have enough clothes. They were uh, freezing cold. Uh, many did not have food. They were hungry and starving. Uh, so it was the end of the revolution uh, by then, and there was nothing anyone could do. Congress was helpless, uh, it had no powers, and the governors just weren't acting uh, very uh, formidably to help. It was uh, a, a writer, the polemicist Thomas Paine, who came to Washington's help and wrote a document uh, called uh, The American Crisis and he later num knew, numbered it number one because he eventually wrote 31 American Crises. And- uh, And you actually write another book about Thomas Paine, right? Isn't that- Yes, yes that, 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 is, that is out on the market, Thomas Paine. That's your new book, correct? Yeah, that's my newest book. Unfortunately, it came out just as the pandemic struck, uh, stores closed and, and the book <laughs> business fell apart. But it's, it's doing uh, as well as can be expected. 
under the circumstances. Mm. Well, I mean that 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 lifted the spirit of the troops, and uh, in a, during a snowstorm on Christmas night, uh, they sailed across the Potomac, uh, across the Delaware River, to Trenton and caught caught a the troops in Trenton. They were Hessian troops by surprise at dawn. It was snowing. They had celebrated Christmas night with a big banquet and lots of drink. So they were oversleeping and they were caught uh, in bed. And they came out in their nightshirts to try to defend themselves. But the, the Americans won the day in Trenton and that lifted spirits up uh, uh, among Americans. That, that, that was the first true victory uh, that American troops had had over the British army. Well, I mean, uh, I I personally loved this book. I mean, I think it's very much worth the read, especially if you're a history buff. And even if you're not a history buff, I mean, this is a very compelling man uh, and, and an orator. I mean, his story, his life story is uh, fascinating to read. Uh, well, we, don't, we don't really tell the story of anti-federalism and how strong it was because eventually anti-federalism led to the Civil War. Yes. Yeah. And Patrick Henry is the father of anti-federalism. When they were writing the Constitution, uh, each state had to ratify the Constitution. Uh, Congress did not ratify the con Constitution. Congress had no power. Each state had to ratify it. And at the debate over ratification in Virginia, uh, he told, warned Virginians that uh, the Constitution puts all the nation's money in the president's hands, puts control of the troops, the army in the president's hands. What else does he need to become a tyrant? He has the money, he has the, the, the troops. He can tell, he can dictate to the country. So he uh, voted against ratification of the constitution. Uh, unlike uh, other Southerners at the time who later preferred trying to divide, to, split the nation and, and went to declare a civil war. Uh, uh, Henry, who was a, had become a close friend of Washington, respected Washington's views. And Washington's argument was, we can always change the constitution. We can always write new amendments and modify it. So he voted, Patrick Henry voted against ratification uh, but when he lost uh, the, uh, the vote, uh, he and, and many of his followers wanted to uh, start another war. They were ready to start a civil war right then and there and secede. Uh, he put that down and said, I will be a loyal citizen and try to change the Constitution by constitutional means. Uh, so he put down the first uh, hint of civil war. And he fought hard for the Bill of Rights, right? He fought hard to, to get uh, certain basic human rights protected. That was important to him. Well, that, that, that was the first step on, on what he thought would be the road back. Uh, but it, it didn't really, it really, it didn't really strip the federal government of uh, what he felt were dictatorial powers. And uh, 
And in that day and age, they could have become dictatorial powers, much more than in today's uh, world where we have a huge body of uh, extra-constitutional jurisprudence. We have bodies of laws, both federal laws and uh, state laws that mitigate against the possibility of a of a takeover uh, by a dictator, a, a centralized dictator in Washington. Uh, there are just too many laws on the books, and and too many amendments to the Constitution uh, to prevent that. And indeed, it has gone so far that many people today are afraid that we're in for, we may be facing, that states' rights have become so powerful, they may strip the people in various various states of their constitutional rights. Uh, Many states in the South and the Midwest are restricting, uh, are imposing voting restrictions now that will limit voting rights. Uh, Texas has just uh, passed a law to try to strip uh, women of their rights to abortion. and the, the states maybe may have gotten too powerful. Whether we'll swing back, I don't know. And what would Patrick Henry say, do you think? Patrick Henry would be, uh, uh, I mean, one of the most famous speeches he, he gave uh, was cried out, uh, why not give them the right to vote? You know, I mean, he would be, apoplectic at what the southern states are doing to try to restrict voting rights. Uh, He believed in freedom of the individual, not freedom of state governors. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, I'm sorry Uh, that we don't, um, we don't have time to get into every one of your books because they're all brilliant. Uh, And there are 30 30 of them. (laughs) Yeah. They're all, I mean, you're, you're a true historian. Uh, I mean, when I was reading Lafayette, I, I mean, you, it's, you apparently went to France to actually do a, a great deal of the research for that. Is that common? Do you, do you usually travel to do your research? Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. And uh, I wrote, uh, uh, I did the research for uh, most of my early books before the internet. Uh, <laughs> Well, there, there was an internet, but now you can get every manuscript in the National Library in, in Paris or in the Oxford Library, Oxford University Library or Cambridge University Library, any of the great libraries in the world. You can just click on your, you, you don't have to get, get up from your desk. You can get it right on your own screen. That was not possible yet. And the internet was primarily a means of telecommunications in a sense, uh, but it wasn't what, what we have today. And so uh, I, I had to travel to all these places to study original manuscripts and get old out of print books uh, from the times of the figures I wrote about. And that made it much more fun, believe me, that is much <laughs> more fun. It's much more fun having breakfast in a nice hotel in Paris and taking the metro to the National Library (laughs) at lunchtime, going to a nice bistro for lunch. (laughs) And it makes for a lot better story, too. And just sitting at your desk and having a ham and cheese sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And seeing seeing nobody. 
<laughs> seeing nobody. It's a very, very lonely job writing a book uh, where you're just going to be at your desk the whole. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, for certain, I agree. Books, as you can see, I have, which uh, I would not have to collect nowadays. I could get them all on the internet, uh, keep them all on file in the cloud, and not not have a single book. And, and those books are all double, in some cases, triple shelved. Those are books behind the books. Yeah. Uh, I, I too have a lot of uh, books still. I, I have to admit, I've transferred over to the Nook, um, not to have my house completely overrun with books. I do yeah. buy eBooks instead, but um, yeah, I still have my collection uh, from all the years of reading books. Well, and you, can't throw, you can't throw them out. And number one, number two, because it's a big, huge investment. But number two, I know where to find the information, where to go. Exactly, in any one of, of my books, and in, in uh, I'm sure you know as well as I do, you ask a question on the, often ask a question on the internet, and you get the answer for a question you didn't even ask. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea why that happens. You ask a simple question, and you get the answer for something you didn't, you didn't even ask about. Uh, well, it's a machine, not a person, right? It's... Uh, it's a machine trying to... Uh, That's its only defense. That's the only reason my fist hasn't gone through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to hide behind that. <laughs> well, I would love to... Uh, I mean, i really love to have you come back. I didn't get a chance. really only got through Lion of Liberty, which I know was the reason you were appearing today. That was... I had first read the book and finished it and said, oh, I have to have him on to talk about the book. I fell in love with it. Uh, but now, like I said, I've since read Lafayette and I think I like it more. And I wish, you know, we had the opportunity and the time yeah, to go through that book. That's an even. Lafayette, Lafayette's a wonderful, yeah, Lafayette's a wonderful story. And uh, that took me through, all through France. Uh, I, 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 I uh, as a child, I grew up in France, so I'm bilingual. So I love uh, doing Lafayette. On that note, I'm going to say thank you so much, Mr. Unger. Thank for you. Getting and uh, we'll have him uh, back. We'll have him back very soon, everybody. Thank you, Harlow. Bye. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.